Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's November 9th, 2023, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in the crypto space. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. Austin, we've had a few few weeks off. I know uh, all of us are in 2024 planning hell. How are you doing? How are you holding <laughs> up? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, hey, a lot has happened since the last time we talked. Uh, uh, do yeah. me a favor, Matt. Think, think back 10 years ago. Think back mm. to 2013 and and what you were doing personally. I had just graduated. I struggle from high with school. last. I struggle with last <laughs> Tuesday, to be honest, Austin. So you <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I know it's it's uh it's a hard thing to do that ten years. Um, well, uh, not not only had I just graduated high school, but Grand Theft Auto Five had just been released. Oh yeah, uh, and yes, and here we are, ten years later. We finally gotten the announcement for Grand Theft Auto 6. It's yep. actually happening. <laughs> I think it's it's Rockstar's what 25th year anniversary, uh, which made yes. me feel really old. Uh, I know, isn't that just cuz I remember playing the original GTA uh, and in the the beautiful 2D top-down view consistently riding the the train, firing flamethrowers everywhere. That was a fun time of my life. <laughs> far less complicated time of my life, I will add as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that, I, I think it's going to be, while while I am not a big gamer myself, I grew up with, uh, with, with GTA for sure. Feels like this one is going to be an, an absolutely enormous event. And probably the closest thing to... Um, I guess like a metaverse that that we'll we'll probably see outside of maybe uh, what Fortnite have been doing, but <clears throat> it's it's yeah. going to be interesting for sure. I'm hyped, dude! Finally, yeah. ten years later, we've probably only got one more year to wait before they actually release it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh. yeah. I've never seen so much hype around just a trailer. Uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> it's it's exciting. I mean, do you know what else is exciting? Forget 10 years. Let's go back, say, 10 days. Bitcoin <laughs> price wasn't as good as it is today. It is on a tear. We're we're on a collision course of 40K, and that is not something I thought I was going to be saying one month ago. Um, this is a good time. Market volumes. I think when I was going through some of the, uh, the, the, the spot market volume data, as I as I do each month, um, back in August and then September, I think like the three month period between uh, July, August, September, was one of the lowest volatility periods in BTC price history. It was just the most boring environment from a trade perspective, and and actual like spot volumes. In incredible low points, multi-year low points, open interest on futures, just non-existent. And now, wow, things are picking up. Things are picking up big time. Um, I, I just, I always know when things are picking up. I have like these kind of canary in the coal mine situations where I follow these random crypto, like, shill influencers on telegram just to see the hilarity of what they're they're pushing out and it's just been an absolute dead zone for ages now all of a sudden i'm getting like 10 push notifications an hour telling me about this latest like crap coin that they're they think's gonna go from like 200k market cap to being a top 10 coin excellent yep great uh Beautiful. but you know we're back baby we're back 
<laughs> and the Lambos are cheaper than ever. You gotta oh, love it. <laughs> you know it. You know it. That's the real BTC to to Lambo. That's the real exchange <laughs> that, that I keep track of. And that ratio is looking good enough, Ava Austin. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the market. In particular, in this uh, episode, we're going to dig into the NFT market, which, uh, yeah, remember that? Um, the it, it turns out signs of life have been spotted uh, in the NFT space. And in the past, in particular, two to two to three days, the space is just, you know, on a, on a tear again. I want to dig into some of that. And of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Off-Chain without, <laughs> without us mentioning our curly head friend. Uh, we will, of course, cover off the latest and greatest from SBF. All right, let's jump in off our story of the day. So there's been some mixed signals in the NFT market um, over the past few weeks, but, you know, volumes are seriously up and we've been spotting some early signs of life in the NFT space, but it's not been uh, all sunshine and rainbows. There's been some big storms over the past three to four weeks. And I want to start with OpenSea uh, because... They just announced that they've laid off 50% of their staff. That's just over 100 people. Um, And it's worth calling out, I mean, we covered this uh, mid last year where they'd laid off around 20% of their workforce at the time, which was actually 230 employees. So, you know, they've gone from a pretty sizable, close to a thousand kind of people down to now a hundred. So that has really, really shrunk. Also, the good side of this is, um, well, I, I, I at least think this is relatively good. They've received four months uh, severance packages. And importantly, they, they received accelerated equity vesting. So they didn't have to lose all of their potentially worthless stock options in, <laughs> in OpenSea. Um, and they get six months of healthcare and mental health uh, benefits. So at least they've done somewhat good. Certainly in the context of US severance, that's pretty good. Um, on, the, on the flip side of this, probably not the best look that days later, after the announcement, the full OpenSea exec team decided to rent out a $9 million mansion, previously owned by Katy Perry and Russell Brand, to do a, strat- a strategy offsite. It's an interesting, <laughs> interesting decision after laying off half of the company. Uh, that's a good one. Um, to, now, here's to... the thing, Matt. Was that, was that mansion, ha- did that happen to be in Southern California? Or do you know where it was? Because I, a nine million dollar mansion in Southern California—that's like a fifteen hundred square foot house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they were in like a one bed apartment. Um, so, uh, <laughs> well, you know, the big the big story I think though coming out on OpenSea—they've laid off a load of staff, et cetera, et cetera. The lead investor of OpenSea in their last round actually just wrote down. OpenSea's valuation by a whopping 90%. You may remember that their previous valuation was $13.3 billion, which I actually think is absurd, um, to to be Mm -hmm. completely honest. Um, 
it is now down to 1.4 billion, which actually I, I think is probably a lot more realistic. If anything, is yeah. still probably a little frothy considering the the state of the NFT marketplace space and just how ripe that is for, for a bit of disruption as we've seen with the introduction of Blur, but then also I think coming down from like some of the wider centralized exchanges launching um, the majority of of us now have launched at least an NFT marketplace. So it, they're just getting attacked from all angles. And I think in a bear market, NFTs get hurt the most. Um, so so that's been a tricky one. And then, you know, another big name in the in the NFT space, Yuga, right? The company behind the Board Ape Yacht Club IP and uh, CryptoPunks and MeBits and a couple of others. They announced layoffs at the end of October. Uh, they actually didn't specify how many, um, but it seems it was significant. There was enough like news stories, right, to, to, to note that it was significant. They only had their US employees impacted here. And this is since they brought in their, their new CEO from, who was from Activision Blizzard. Uh, what is that now? Activision Blizzard and Microsoft now, uh, we call it. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, <clears throat> the company, I think still has around a hundred employees. So not quite sure how big Yuga was, but probably relatively sizable. So you'd imagine a big chunk, but I think that is more signs that the NFT space has been struggling of late and volumes in the NFT space as in trade volumes have been at some of their lowest recorded points since at least like that the first big rally in in uh, maybe 2020 it's just been a ghost town um a real lack of liquidity real lack of positive price action now despite the the layoffs co-founder um the pseudonymous gordon goner has been on a very public buying spree of nfts he dropped around 1.5 million dollars yesterday alone buying up a load of NFTs from CryptoPunks, Doodles, Beeple, and just a few others. And he said <clears throat> on, on Twitter uh, that he plans to deploy even more over the next few days. And there's a bunch of people that have been trying to speculate, front run the trades with lots of collections, pumping speculatively, and then obviously retracing off the back of it. But there has been a lot of price action. Question for you, Austin. Is it a good sign to announce a load of layoffs in your company and then publicly start splashing millions of dollars on NFTs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it is it, it is an interesting thing. I, I will say, I guess, maybe a little bit in their def- – although, you know, I, Matt, I did go to a party of theirs the other day, and I've got this skin rash. Yeah? Have you – yeah, I, I just – I hear it was a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if you all haven't heard, uh, yeah, look, look up what happened at the, the Board Ape Yacht Club party. Um, it's wild. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, okay, so buying NFTs, maybe not the greatest thing, but it is a common pattern that companies will go through, like, tightening, uh, you yeah, know, whether yeah. it be through a riff or something else, and then they do, like, some type of investment, which could be, you know, uh, like a, 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 a an R&D investment. It could be a stock buyback. It could even be hiring again. Just hiring yeah. a different type of staff, you know, it's very uh, true. So. And this is, you know, this is this is Gordon Goddard's personal personal funds as well. I think, like on one side, you could say uh, it's 
kind of bad taste uh, doing this after you've laid off a lot of people. The other thing is, you know, actually, are the, is this more of a, you know, kind of putting his money where his mouth is and investing in the space, stimulating some demand, which he has in fairness alone, kind of shows the state of liquidity in the space where deploying 1.5 million, like in a day is like created enough kind of buzz to to really drive up some some demand and pump a bunch of projects uh, uh across the board so <clears throat> i don't know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh, uh shit on it too too much i think it's largely largely a good thing um but i i think it's interesting so we've set the scene right layoffs tightening it's not just going to be the nft space where we see layoffs i think moving into q1 we're going to see the next wave of tech uh as in web 2 tech layoffs really start to come full force but in the NFT space, let's talk about these signs of life that I was mentioning, because all I've really been talking about is largely death at this point. And uh, here's some areas of optimism. Daily volume hit a three-month high yesterday. It surpassed $20 million in sales volume. In early October alone, this was just around $5 million. So, you know, uh, significant improvement. And Blur continues to dominate in terms of volume. It accounts for around 67% of overall volume. Open season at 17% in second place. And then I actually think like third on the list is actually like CryptoPunks' own native marketplace. It's, it's basically these two battling it out and in all honesty, just blur. They have really dominated uh, market share from a volume perspective since launching their a big kind of uh, incentive campaign. Um, but one area where OpenSea has had an edge uh, for, for a pretty sustained period was that while it had lower volumes, it consistently had somewhere in the region of like 2x the number of unique traders on the platform versus Blur. So Blur was doing a lot of volume, significantly more volume, but from a much smaller pool of probably just the same traders that were just farming rewards interestingly the past two days this gap basically went from being a 2x lead to pretty much parity they're about the same now but volume is significantly up why might that be the case well blur's second season their season two of rewards ends on november 20 and if you're not super familiar with how that works effectively you earn points for the bids that you make whether that's on their blend uh, NFT lending product or whether it's um, actually bidding or making sales and closing trades on NFTs themselves. You get points, the more points you have at the end of the season, you get, you guessed it, a nice airdrop of probably hugely diluted value blur tokens, which will not be worth all of the cash that you spent bidding on shit NFTs. So, you know, if there's a silver lining, don't worry about it. Most of the season two bidders are probably going to be underwater at this point, even if uh, season one was quite profitable from that perspective. So what I would expect is a lot of last minute farming, increased volume as a result. Um, and we are seeing a ton of gains across pretty much all the big projects in the ETH NFT space and, uh, you know, double digit gains in many cases. So there's a lot of activity happening. And once you have this big spike in volume during times of low liquidity, it's not unusual to see huge swings in price action to the upside. So 
we'll see. <clears throat> Some of it, uh, the momentum seems to be holding slightly, but one big area, and this is the last point I want to call out on this, a big, big area of kind of momentum, narrative that's coming back up again and growth that's happening in the NFT space is on Bitcoin. Ordinals. You may remember back in, I think it was February uh, of, of this year, we did an episode where we did a deep dive to explain ordinals, uh, the NFT, uh, the Bitcoin NFTs, and dug into all of those. You should definitely go read that up. We spoke to some of the early builders in the space, and we were we were doing this ourselves, um, playing around on the Bitcoin blockchain. Actually, minted one of the first thousand ordinals to appear on Bitcoin. So we know what we're talking about. Um, they have been just on another absolute tear. And what I thought was particularly interesting is for the first time, Bitcoin NFTs overtook ETH NFTs in daily trading volume. That was yesterday. It's Their volume seems to be down around 50% today, but there was just a huge, huge amount of trade volume come up. Um, and one of the, I guess, triggers of this was Binance listing the BRC20 token, Audi, uh, on the the Binance exchange. So if you're not familiar with BRC20 tokens, uh, we probably don't have a whole lot of time to, to, to explain this, but very complex technologically to actually even list these kind of tokens on exchange. Um, so Binance have obviously taken on a bunch of extra operational stuff to get that going. It, it pumped about 50% um, upon the listing. And you know, with the rise in interest in ordinals, Bitcoin fees are up just a casual thousand percent since August. So that is uh that that's picking up. And when you look across kind of many of the top ordinals projects, um they they have really kind of pumped hard. So Bitcoin Frogs, which is probably the largest, I believe, of, of all of the Ordinals NFT collections. They're up 12% over seven days. OMB uh, up 60% over seven days. Bitcoin Punks up 7%. DGods up 39%. And then just looking, which I often do, is like the, the sub 10K inscriptions. That's the first 10,000 ordinals that were minted they've rallied their, their floor prices up around 43 percent. so you can see tons and tons of activity happening here i think if uh while i'm not an active nft trader i i spend a lot of time keeping and paying attention to to this there i think everyone in that space is going to be very relieved to see some liquidity coming back in the markets and even if it's nowhere near even the, the peaks of uh, Q1 of this year, it is a significant increase on the past few months. So there is life yet in the NFT space. And yeah, speaking of life, up. yeah, a huge shakeup, huge shakeup. It's very, very I mean, different. I, it's it's amazing to me, Matt, as you were talking through that, that, that portion, uh, uh, you know, on the NFT marketplaces with OpenSea versus Blur, I was I was thinking to myself like am I remembering history correctly or is like has it been rewritten here because I could swear that like I we just just a year ago when we were talking about blur our thought was like this is some wild stuff that they're they're doing but this could be a flash in the pan mm. and I I mean let's not forget January of 2022 OpenSea had 90% 
yeah. of the NFT marketplace market share. It, it then, was it was unmovable. It was, it was it was it was basically agreed upon that they were going to dominate. They they were positioning yes. themselves like you know Coinbase X esque UX for NFTs, and they were just going to scoop up the entire market share, and no one no one could beat them. Yeah, and then just a, a year ago in in October, you know that's really when Blur started to hit the scene. And their meteoric rise got them to the point where, if I recall correctly, like a month or two later, like maybe by November, December, they had eclipsed OpenSea momentarily, and then they fell back down, and then they eclipsed them again. But to see this being sustained, and not not just sustained, but, you know, it's it's almost the tables have completely turned, right? 67% market share for Blur versus 17% market share for OpenSea. It's just wild to see that here's 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 my here's my take on this right and i think that this can be explained i think this is actually something that if you're an nft marketplace it, it has to be a concern regardless of who you are right so the ability for the market share in and when we talk about market share we're talking about the distribution of sales volume which ultimately is the most important thing because that's where you're generating fees and that's where you're generating revenue as a marketplace for it to for it to jump that dramatically over such a short space of time, going from like ninety percent down to seventeen percent in like a year, but even in the space of uh, a few months, right? Like cutting that market share in half. When you dig into the, the the data behind a lot of this, and the point I was making earlier around the fact that OpenSea historically had nearly double, consistently at least double the number of unique traders on their platform yet they're doing a a fraction of the volume what this shows is that the lion's share of all of the trading volume is done by a very very small percent of traders Mm -hmm. if you can incentivize that very very small pool of whales that ultimately spend all of their time trading between each other right to come over and, uh, and and trade on your platform, you will win in this space as it stands today. Those whales control the NFT space. They largely are the ones that are making markets that are that are setting the prices ultimately. And what are they motivated by? Profits. So, how can you bring them over? Well, you spin up a really attractive money printing incentive scheme that incentivizes them to bring their liquidity over to you. So Blur did, they did it very effectively. They saw this, they did it. In a bear market in particular, when you know retail are not trading on NFTs right now um, and haven't been for some time, it is just these whales that are making up the trade volume. You, if you're OpenSea, you're so much more exposed, right? Because what you're trying to capture is the tail and what... Uh, what Blur are capturing is kind of the fat head, right? Which is of, of, of volume. And that is a very, very big hurdle to overcome if you're OpenSea because first of all, Blur will end this season. They'll probably launch another season. They can't continuously do this, right? Because mm-hmm. there's only so much uh, dilution that that Blur token can take. And you know, the big question is, how long can that last for? And that I think is where we look at like, is this a flash in the pan? But from OpenSea, you know, 
how do they get back these these big whales? They've got no real differentiator. Like the whales, okay, maybe you build like some pro trading tools, things like that. But I don't know. Like the only thing I see is if OpenSea launch a token, right, and do something there. But this is a U.S. entity. They are they are not going to launch a token. It, it's far too complicated. They already have raised a ton of capital as well uh, around kind of equity. It it would be too much of a complexity, in my opinion, and risk for them to launch a token. I, I just I don't see where this goes, and that's why I think this yeah. market is is in is in a really challenging spot. They're all competing and- to be the Amazon, but I I I just don't don't see that playing out this way. Yeah, these these huge sea changes, you know, and reversals. Uh, it's it's certainly volatile. Here's another thing to think about. Earlier, you mentioned that OpenSea had their valuation written down by ninety percent from mm. their lead investor, from thirteen point three billion to one point four billion, right? And we were thinking oh, that's that's obviously a huge write down, but it may still be a little frothy even at that. Yeah. Now think about this: if they're at seventeen percent. Of market volume and blur is at 67 percent of market volume market share uh where does that leave blur well in february of this year blur that was the last time that blur did a a funding round and they raised at a one billion dollar valuation so does Mm -hmm. that mean that blur is worth several billion dollars now or (laughs) or OpenSea is worth late actually way less than their 90 percent markdown yeah. Well, the, I think it's interesting, right? You know, if I was going to bet on either of these as an investor today, who would I bet on? And actually, I would probably, as crazy as it sounds, pick OpenSea. The reason mm. why I'd probably pick OpenSea is that once Blur, like Blur is positioned at traders, hands down. I've used Blur a bunch and I quite like it. Re- retail is not going to use Blur. It, it looks horrible for a retail user. On the other hand, for the, the retail consumers, the, the kind of mass market appeal, if you like, OpenSea is designed exactly for that. I think in a bear market, it absolutely sucks. A few things click together, and I do think we'll see another big bull run in the wider crypto space. And I think that will inevitably, even for a period of time, bleed into the NFT space. And as the NFT space evolves and we start to see like more use cases take shape there, I think OpenSea is best positioned to capture the quote unquote masses. I don't actually think mm-hmm. NFTs are going to be for the masses, but like in the grand scheme of this, right? So the I, masses I, I, of the dramatic minority, which yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, I I think that that's where I'd largely place my bet. I think that we're going to see a meteoric shift in almost like the D to C effect of of NFTs. We're already starting to see this, right? I think that. Yuga have been exploring building their own homegrown marketplace for board apes. And that's what, you know, that's what they had for punks. Uh, and the more that starts to happen and the more that the larger projects can still drive up enough liquidity for it to make sense for sellers to list on those marketplaces, the more fractured the volume gets. And that's then when a lot of these projects start to start to suffer at the marketplace level. But 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm very keen to understand how ordinal starts to evolve and the Bitcoin NFT space is very, very difficult in all honesty or time con- consuming to to just like even go through the process of like buying, owning, storing ordinals, trade volumes are much lower in general and things move slower. Um, it's not a great spot to be for like, unless you are doing it kind of 24 um, seven. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. And I am really keen to see how the just wider NFT marketplace kind of plays out over the, mm-hmm. over the coming years. But with that, Let's jump in and take a pause on NFTs and jump into the the wonderful world of Sam Bankman-Fried. SBF has been convicted on all charges. Oh, Matt, we've been talking about this for about a year now, believe it or not. Brings a tear uh, to my you, eye. Yeah, I know. Uh, and we've we've had so so many episodes where we've talked about SBF and FTX and the incredible historic fraud uh, that was perpetrated uh, at F- FTX. Um, well, now we have some closure to this. It's not completely done. There will be more, but I think that this is, a, you know, a nice opportunity. A year later, after uncovering and unpacking this this fraud and dealing with the roller coaster ride of emotion around people losing their life savings and their, their livelihood and, you know, e- their, their jobs, it taking down so much of the crypto market, entire projects uh, collapsing uh, as a result of this and us wondering, you know, are they even going to go after him? Like, what's yeah. going to happen? Uh, and, and look, it looks like some justice might be served here. Uh, granted, you know, maybe it's not the level of justice that we want. And I think that there's still... Uh, th- there's still some some uh, wrongs to be righted, especially you know with all of these billions of dollars of funds that have been recovered, making their way back to to people, you know, on the retail side that lost all of their money from FTX and this fraud that was committed. But even so, we do have some closure here after this five week trial, uh, where the jury deliberated for four hours and 40 minutes. It's actually a pretty short amount of time. Hmm. And they unanimously determined that SBF was guilty of all charges. That amounts to two counts of wire fraud, four counts of conspiracy to commit fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. And the jury if there expressed... Is, if, if, if there is one thing that you do not want to be guilty of, it's wire fraud. Like, you know, why, <laughs> it, it, it has to be, I mean, if you, if you put different um, crimes next to their estimated kind of jail time that you, mm-hmm. you kind of get for that, I think wire fraud must be in like the top 10. I'm pretty sure you, you have like higher chance of like a, a longer sentencing duration on average for wire fraud than you would for murder, which is wild. It's, it's just Matt, absolutely insane. SBF is looking at up to 115 years in prison right now. He, Damn. He, he likely will be spending decades yeah. at minimum. I think uh, I saw like people think it's going to be like 35 kind of years, something like that. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, realistically, Which you know, that's a long that's, time. It's a long time. I mean, 
Yeah, I, it's 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 a it's either a long time or it's far too short of a time, depending on who you ask, right? Mm. Uh, like the the people that lost their their homes and their livelihoods over this, I think, uh, you know, there's there's definitely more more to be done to to make them feel righted and whole again. Um, but with that said, it, th- this is uh, you know this is guilty of all charges. This this is the maximum that, that we could have hoped for at this point from this trial. The sentencing date is set for March 28th of 2024. So it'll be a few months before we find out exactly what he's up against. With that said, it's likely that he's going to appeal this. Uh, his lawyer was immediately signaling that. So mm. the, this legal battle will probably extend on by the order of months, if not you know quarters or years. Um, but it's trending in the right direction, and we do have some, you know, semblance of justice uh, that 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 is about to be carried out here. The jury, after they shared their verdict, expressed that SBF committed one of the largest financial frauds in history, with nearly ten billion dollars in misappropriated customer funds spent on luxury real estate investments and dark money political donations. And they explicitly stated that they felt this was all done at SBF's direction because, of course, there was an attempt to say, oh, no, this was like part of the FTX and Alameda machine and everything like that. And that didn't go over very well. I was reading mm-hmm. um, in the uh, in, in the Washington Post, they had this nice sort of breakdown and overview of the entire trial. And, you know, they had all of these amazing expert witnesses. Of course, most famously, his girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, flipped on him. Um, yep. And what they were saying is that like their their legal analysis basically concluded that actually the most damning witness, the most damning evidence against SPF, SPF was his own testimony. Yeah, I, I, that's what I kind of thought, you know, I was like, I, going through a lot of this, and I, I, I was following a lot of the, um, the analysis, I think the Financial Times is a similar, really good write up and a couple of podcasts that, that dug into it. But it just feels like Sam in true Sam fashion tripped over his own words in particular. And I mean, I think he was always going to be found guilty, uh, mm-hmm. but he didn't do himself any favors. Uh, and you've got to it's, question yeah. the legal defense at the same time. <laughs> I would not have wanted to be those lawyers trying to figure out how you defend someone that is just on the borderline of being like indefensible. Um, so it felt like probably a bit of a Hail Mary uh, that they were throwing. So, Yeah. And look, this isn't going to be his only legal battle. He's also facing charges related to an alleged $150 million bribe to Chinese officials in an effort to yeah. unfreeze a $1 billion uh, you know, amount of crypto that was supposedly frozen there I remember due to that. suspicion of money laundering, right? Uh, I saw then, Caroline's, did you see Caroline's comments around that? They were so damning. This was the one that got me yeah. a lot during this. Yeah, she basically just said like, yeah, no, this was ordered by Sam. Uh, and I think they had like some notes or something around it, but pff, ouch. Yeah. Car- Caroline, I'll, I'll never forget when she was spotted in that Starbucks in New York and immediately 
we all knew she is just she is looking for a bus. Give me a bus to throw SBF straight under. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and I don't happened. blame her. Yeah, I do not no, blame not her. Yeah, uh, not, <laughs> not at all. I mean, you know, look, he. The reality is, he is ultimately responsible for this, uh, and I think that the evidence was very damning. I mean, like I said, it's not just Caroline Ellison's testimony; his own testimony yeah. and and the hard evidence is really what was working against him. Uh, in in the greatest way. He's also facing charges related to violating campaign finance laws, which I think is going to be particularly interesting in in the context of, you know, the the sort of U.S. angle Mm. uh, of this story, because don't forget, he was the second largest donor to the Democrat Party after George Soros. (laughs) There's a lot. This is a tough one. I mean, this is going to be like a very contentious thing. I don't think that I, I I don't think that the the campaign finance issues are going to to go away too silently. At least they no. shouldn't. I thought then, it was interesting that what kind of came out as well around the fact, which actually, I think was a particularly damning thing for Sam's own story around himself, in mm-hmm. that it kind of came to light that he'd been funding both the Democrats and Republicans in, in large sums as well. And he'd been doing dark um, donations to the Republican party in size because he wanted to keep this appearance that he was purely uh, supporting Democrats, but clearly wasn't. <laughs> it's just, Oh you know, yeah. Just... And his, his whole thing about like, Oh, you know, that this is what you have to do in, in the tech industry is basically woke signal. But if you yeah. want to create corruption, you know, you have to play both sides. And it's something that I think, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you you just said the quiet part out loud, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so, look, he's going to be up against campaign finance charges. Also, I mean, very predictably, dozens of lawsuits from business partners. Oh yeah. I have to imagine Tom Brady is not too happy right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I'd say he'd be a little bit miffed about this. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of it. Uh, I mean, there's this event, you know. Being someone that you know has, has been was working in the crypto space full time through the event and now after the event, I I can't begin to explain how different it is to work in the space post FTX. It is a a monumental, a landmark moment that's changed and shaped not just the public perception, but the regulatory direction in particular in the u.s and just in I, I think just the way in which people operate in the in the space as a whole i think there's been a lot of good that has come out of this there's been a lot of bad that's come out of this um it, it's really challenging i thought some some things that i thought were interesting to share actually that i that i've seen happen recently so there's been a lot of speculation around a possible relaunch right of ftx and we've been seeing people uh, various news stories around this and we've still got the looming kind of you know bankruptcy uh saga of ftx and will people get their money back and it seems it seemed like um things were looking a lot more positive what i thought was has been interesting is in the past few days i've personally had I, I tend to get quite a lot of just like random deal flow on whether that's like jumping into a seed round or whatever like that in in this space. I've had three separate 
um, offers to buy FTX kind of um, bankruptcy claims at 50 cent on the dollar or below. Uh, which I'll, I'll say I haven't, and I haven't had that before. But in in like minimum six figure like sums, people are trying to offload these, which I feel like is a is a is a big signal here that a lot of the individuals with these claims, this isn't just about them needing liquidity now. It's much more of a concern that this isn't going to be this isn't going to be coming back. Um, yeah. I thought I thought I would kind of share that because I thought it was interesting because these just all of a sudden have been coming my way and it's been like hmm, okay this is this is interesting I fi- I get this like sense that someone knows something I don't basically is, is what mm. I would say here yeah that is ugh. that does not bode well it's scary no. to hear um, yeah. well that that's what you might call alpha uh, I don't have alpha for you Matt but I do have <laughs> another curveball which is. Uh, <laughs> Scroll down in our doc here and look at this photo that I've posted in here. I know our listeners can't see this, but this is a a photo of what looks to be a maybe like a six, seven, eight-year-old Caroline Ellison. <laughs> um, it turns out that potentially Caroline Ellison appeared on the American kids TV show Arthur in 2003. Uh, so, so not another... Alpha. You don't have Alpha, but you do have Arthur. Some would say. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. that is that is the right way to put it. Uh, take take a listen to this and tell me if this is Caroline Ellison. Hello, my name's Caroline, and this is the library at the Mariah L. Baldwin School. And today we're going to be talking about scary stories. Is this from Is this from the court case, or is this from Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's, oh, that's amazing. amazing yeah that's great man i loved arthur when i was younger that that was a great show great show oh yeah it's the best yeah, yeah. that and uh hey arnold the two two classics absolute classics yes Love them. Um, but you know, Arthur, Arthur had the alpha. It was foreshadowing the scary stories that were yet to come 20 oh, yeah. years later in Caroline's future. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I feel like we've, uh, we've come up to time. We've wrapped up a bit on the SBF side of things. The NFT market's up big time. ETH, Bitcoin is on an absolute tear. We've got the ETF to look forward to, maybe Q1 of next year, fingers crossed. We've got the Bitcoin halving coming up. Am I am I crazy, Austin, or am I sounding optimistic here? I some, I think I need to <laughs> someone to pinch me because all of a sudden I'm feeling a little bit bullish um, and it sounds a yeah. bit dangerous at this point. It's usually a top I signal, by the way. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we will soon find out if we are simply the top signal or if we're actually at the beginning of some very exciting momentum. Um, And I'm just glad that while October left it until the last few days of the month, it retained its title of being October. All right, Austin, I will see you next week. See you then, Matt.
contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.